0: Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tabner.
1: In this conversation, we're going to be looking at the book of Job, and it's a sort of new section of the Bible, Mike, is it? Yes, we've used the idea of the Bible being not just a
0: book, but a library of books, And this is definitely a new section in that library. It's what is often called the the first in the wisdom literature section, which is a a collection of varied uh, styles of writing. So there's proverbs and stories and poems, but they're all united by a common interest in how life works out in reality with God. So what's in that section? We're looking here at the books that we call Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, or sometimes called the Song of Solomon. Now, interestingly enough, while they're in this wisdom section in our tradition, in Jewish tradition, they actually just come in a more general section called writings. But when the Bible was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint version, the order of those books was reorganized and our Western Bibles, our English Bibles now follow that tradition of this being in a section called wisdom. So we've had the law, the first five books of the Bible. We've had what we would then call the history books, which take us from the time of Israel coming into the promised land to the time when they had to leave it in exile. And then ultimately, as we saw in Ezra and Nehemiah, come back into it. And now here are some writings spread out over that period, a lot of them coming from the time of the early monarchy, the early kings, David and Solomon, but also some way beyond that, but all of them looking, looking at life. How can we look at life? with God's perspective, but in a way that makes sense of life and makes
1: life work. So we're going to start with this book of Job. There's 42 chapters, quite a big book. Before we go into the detail, overall, what's it about?
0: The overall thrust is very simple. A wealthy and godly man finds that everything goes wrong in life, and everything that he's cherished, home, family, possessions, gets taken away from him? How will a man like that respond? Well, obviously, he wants to know why and comes with his questions to God. And three friends appear who give him the traditional Jewish answers. A fourth friend appears who thinks he's got all the answers, but none of them work. And what makes a difference is by the time we get right to the end of the book, where Job has a personal encounter with God in a new and fresh and powerful way. And actually, he never gets an answer to his question why, but what he discovers afresh is who. And once you've encountered the living God, everything takes on a different perspective. And having realized that God is still there and God is still with him and God is still great and God is still good, He's able to say, I didn't really know what I was talking about, did I? And God blesses him more richly, even than
1: he was at the beginning. So there's a quick bird's eye overview of the whole book. First of all, then, what does the book tell us about Job himself? It tells us that he lived in the land of Uz.
0: And you're going to say, where's the land of Uz? And I'm going to say, we have no idea. Most scholars think it's a land to the east of the River Jordan. So outside what we would know as Israel, the the promised land. He's clearly a very wealthy man. So in chapter one, we meet him, we discover his wealth, how many oxen and sheep and cattle that he had. But not only is he wealthy, we're told that he was godly, and upright, he feared God in a sense of honored God, respected God, stayed away from evil. So the picture we get of him is of a godly man, a wealthy man, a family man, a man for whom life
1: is really going particularly well. So we had a lot going for him for sure. Absolutely. What happened?
0: Well, what happens in chapter one is something that seems to us very strange. We're suddenly taken from the earth to the courts of heaven. And there we're told that one day in the courts of heaven, all the angels came before God, as you might expect them to do. But there is one of these angelic beings called Satan. Or actually, in Hebrew, it says the Satan, the word satan satan is a word that means the accuser so one of these angels satan comes into his presence and god asks him a question have you considered my servant job how godly he is how he puts his trust in me and satan replies well yeah of course he puts his trust in you because life's easy for him, isn't it? You know, you've put a wall of protection around him and his home and his prosperity. And, you know, you look after him. Of course, he trusts in you and believe in you. But I tell you what, if you were to take all that away from him, I can guarantee you he would turn around and curse you to your face. Now, I know this seems a sort of odd situation for us here, doesn't it? The idea of Satan coming into God's presence. But remember, this is the wisdom section of the Bible. And it's really the writer saying to us, do you know what? Satan is not a co-equal with God. He's not like an equal who is there wrestling with God and who's going to win. At the end of the day, Satan is no more than a created fallen being. And he can do no more than God will give him permission to do. And even behind it all, God is always working out a purpose from. So that's one of the little insights that leaps out from that first chapter. What
1: kind of test was it that was being thrown at Job?
0: Well, what God says to Satan is, okay, so everything he has is in your hands. You can touch it, but you cannot touch a finger, lay a finger on the man himself. So as chapter one unfolds, we find first of all his... His oxen are stolen. Remember, that's where your wealth would have been counted in these days. It's Clearly, the setting is back in the early days. It's it, reflection of the patriarchal times, really, the times of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So first of all, his oxen are stolen. And then his sheep, we're told, are burnt up by fire that comes from heaven, struck by lightning, perhaps, in our language. Then his camels are stolen by a chaldean raiding party then oh my goodness it gets worse his children are in the house when a freak windstorm comes from the desert and strikes the house and the walls collapse and his children are killed so it's like his possessions and his family are all taken away from him but the amazing thing is – now, listen, we've said many times in this series of podcasts, put yourself in the story. Imagine how you would feel. I think all of us would feel
1: devastated. Is that everything taken from him.
0: Absolutely everything. And, you know, for one of those things to be taken would be enough. But again and again and again. But listen – How Job responds at the end of chapter one, he says, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming
1: God. We all have testing times. That's fascinating to hear his response.
0: It's really quite amazing, isn't it? And I'm sure he said that sort of soberly, quietly, stretching into the very depths of his being to declare that about God. But what he's saying is, look, no matter what goes wrong in life, I have confidence that God is still there. He is still with me. He is still for me. I may not understand what has happened, and that will continue into chapter 2 because satan comes back to god and god says to him again well you know have you seen my servant job you, you said it turn away but you know he still maintained his integrity he said yeah but that's simply because you've not touched him so god says okay you can touch him personally but you can't take his life so satan goes on and inflicts job with with painful sores over his whole body, even to the point where his wife turns around and says, you're still holding on to this faith in God and your integrity? Curse God and die. It's interesting there, isn't it? Even she now is thinking enough is enough. But again, Job holds on to his faith and says, you know, you're talking like a foolish woman there. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God? And never bad. And in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So he's in, I mean, he's been through a terrible time. He's had his possessions, his property, his children, his health all taken from him. And yet he refuses to turn around and say, I curse God. Now he's got questions. He, he wants to know why and what's going on. But that's very different from saying, I've done with God. And You know, as a pastor, I've met people over the years who have been through the most horrendous times. People do go through things like that. And I have met people who've said, that's it, I'm done with God. But I've also met people who've said, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I want to be out of this as soon as I can. I don't know what's going on. But this I know, there is a God in heaven and he is for me and he's with me. And while I don't understand this at the moment, I know that something will come out of it. So Job is still hanging on in there, still hanging on to God, despite all these things that have happened to him. So a a man really of of quite amazing faith, I would say.
1: And Job will have, as you said earlier, actually friends around him who will also want to chip in and offer their two pennyworth.
0: Yes, though, how much of good friends these guys prove to be, I'm not quite sure, because what we then get in Job, and if I'm really honest, this can be the bit of the book that gets a bit hard going. And, you know, I think sometimes we just have to face up to that. Yes, it's still God's word, but, you know, you need to sort of steel yourself to get through chapters three to twenty seven, which is dialogue between three of Job's friends who come to him and who bring their suggestions for what it is that's going wrong and that what he could do to get out of this so he hasn't asked for their advice they've come along and you know they think they're being really good helpful friends and so we get a number of cycles of speeches from these three friends Eliphaz Bildad Zophar and, and it's interesting how the author structures this. It, it's very carefully written. So there's a first cycle of speeches. Eliphaz speaks, Job replies, Bildad speaks, Job replies, Zophar speaks, Job replies. Then we get a second cycle of speeches, the same thing happening again. And then a third cycle, Eliphaz, Job, Bildad, Job. Oh, Zophar doesn't get a look in the third time round. So we're getting this backwards and forwards. So as you're reading this book, just be looking for who's speaking. And also what they are saying, because the heart of what his three friends are saying is, look, we like you know that God is good and that God never does anything that is wrong. So if this bad stuff has happened in your life, Job, then it must be because there's some hidden sin in your life somewhere. And our counsel to you is, come on, own up to it, confess it, get it out. And that's really the heart of all their conversation with him. If God is good and bad things have happened to you, then it must be because there is some sin in your life that has attracted that bad stuff.
1: Have you heard that said in your role as a pastor?
0: Oh, I've heard it many times, and I've heard it not just from people. You know, I've heard it from preachers. Perhaps one of the most common areas where you hear it is when people are sick and they go forward for prayer for healing. And sadly, I've heard people say, well, if you've not got healed out of that prayer, God is here for healing tonight. There's a spirit of healing and anointing around. And so if you haven't got healed, it must be because either you didn't have enough faith that's one of the big ones or there must be sin in your life and you know what that is such a dump on people and it simply isn't true how do I know it isn't true because well even Jesus has an occasion where he reminds people of of a story where a wall fell on people and he said do you think the wall fell on them because they were more evil than anyone else? No, of course it wasn't. And there are some things that happen in this fallen, sinful world that affect all of us. You know, we live in a world that's got ruined and spoiled by sin, and that's affected so many areas of life. So Christians can get sick just like non-Christians can. Christians can lose their job just like non-Christians can. And it's not always the result of sin. Now, I I do need to say there can be some times when our situation or even our health is the result of sin. We did something stupid. This is the consequence. But more often than not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. And the thing is, Job knew he knew he wasn't perfect, but he honestly knew what we saw at the beginning of the book. That he was perfect trying to do what was right, live a godly life, live in a way that was pleasing to God. He wasn't aware of any obvious sin in his life. And so this is his battle in the conversation that goes backwards and forwards between him and his so-called friends. And I say so-called because really, you know, sometimes the best thing we can do when someone is going through a tough time is not to open our mouths, but just to sit there with them and just to be there, and just to say, I know, or it's really tough, or I've not got any glib for you. And, you know, had his friend said that, one, it would have done Job a lot more good. Two, this book would have been a lot shorter <laughs> and a lot easier to get through. But I think it's all there because the writer is wanting us to show that these guys are, are coming out with what was traditional Jewish platitudes that really didn't
1: help anybody, and nor do they help anybody today. So how does Job respond to them? Even though, as you say, he didn't really need their words, he just needed them. But how did he respond?
0: Well, he responds through all of it. I mean, there are different answers to each of the questions, but overall, he responds to it by saying, look, I know what you were saying, but The honest truth is, you know, I I know God is good. And, you know, as I look in my own life, I, I really can't see this hidden sin that you are talking about. So he maintains his integrity throughout. He won't swallow glib answers. I don't think God wants us to swallow glib theological answers that are trite and superficial and don't really face up
1: to the issue. Can you give me an example of, of how Job sort of justifies his position? Yeah, well, here's just
0: one, because there are lots. But for example, in in chapter 31, um, it, it deals with the issue of lust, which is an area where I think pretty much everybody can be tempted at some point or other in their lives. And he has this powerful little phrase where he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. So, Again, he's not saying he is perfect. He's not saying that sin has never attacked him in that area. But he says, I honestly know that before God, I've made this covenant, this agreement with God, that I won't pursue this way, that I won't pursue lust because I know it is so damaging. But that's just one example of many little ones. And each time it keeps coming back to not that I am 100% perfect, but I know that I've maintained my integrity in these areas. You mentioned a fourth friend that's on the scene. Does he help? No, he's no better than the others. It's interesting, we we get the sense of this fourth friend who appears in chapter 32 onwards. He's clearly been standing on the side, watching and listening to all of this. And he seems to be a younger friend than all the others. And he he's listened to all of these conversations and then with the bravado that only the young can have, he steps in and says, well, you know, (laughs) you've listened to all these old guys. And if I could just now bring some wisdom from a youth perspective, Uh, he actually says at one point, I am young in years and you are old. That's why I was fearful. Didn't, you know, didn't really want to step up because I know I'm a young man. But, you know, clearly these guys have been no help to you whatsoever. So let me now tell you what I think, because I too feel I have the spirit of God within me and He's the spirit is bubbling up inside me, he says. I, I feel like wine that's fermenting and the skins are ready to burst any minute. So let me get out what I feel the spirit's given to me. So you think, oh, wow. Something fresh. Here's some great wisdom about to come from the younger generation. But actually, all he does through six chapters is, frankly, to repeat the same old stuff, (laughs) maybe in slightly different language. But he has nothing
1: to contribute either. So no help to Job whatsoever? None at all. So where does the book lead? Who has actually got some perspective for Job?
0: (laughs) The only one who's got real perspective is the one really with whom the story starts. In the courts of heaven. And what changes things for Job is not getting an answer, but getting an encounter. You see, he's had all these different perspectives and answers, people's wisdom shared about why these bad things must have happened to him. And really, he has still got no further. But in chapter 38, there is an incredible turning point in the story Because in 38, God breaks in and God speaks. Interestingly, we now hear nothing more from any of the four friends further in this book. They are silenced because God breaks in. Chapter 38 begins with the words, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. So it looks like literally a physical whirlwind has swept across the desert, But in this whirlwind, he suddenly finds that God is speaking to him. Now, what is God going to say to him at this point? It's really interesting how it starts. The first words that come out is, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? (laughs) Well, that slapped both him and the four friends down, hasn't it? Mm. But there's a tenderness behind that. What God is saying is, Who are all these people, including you, Job, who've been coming out with all your answers when basically you know nothing? And so God starts to remind him of who he is and what he has done. And he speaks to Job saying things like, well, where were you when I brought creation into being? You know, where were you when I stored up the waters behind the doors? Have you ever spoken to the dawn and told it to come forth? And he works through creation, reminding Job that all of these things are things that God has done. He's reminding him of his greatness and saying, can you do any of this? But this is not theology now. What the friends had given was theology, argument. What God now gives him is an encounter, a fresh experience of the living God. But it comes really as a challenge. You know, you're asking me your little questions about this. Do you understand who I am and what I've done and what I control? And God lays this on thick, revelation after revelation, question after question, until eventually, By chapter 42, Job replies to the Lord, do you know what? I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked me, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I'll speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now my eyes have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In other words, I knew so much about you before God, but now I think I'm actually starting to know you out of that encounter. I've met you. And do you know what? When I've met you, I'm not sure I need answers anymore. Because I've met the one who has all the answers and whom I can trust, even if I don't know what those answers are yet.
1: And that's a invaluable lesson for us today.
0: Absolutely. And as a pastor, I've walked with people through incredibly sad times when, yeah, they have had so many questions. Why on earth did this happen? But the answer every single time for them has not been as I have sat with them and given them some incredible truths from scripture or some incredible promises, but when I've helped them and encouraged them to go back to God and meet with him. And like Job, they have often come away really without an answer. Why did my young baby die in the cot? Why did my baby die in the womb? Why was my son killed in a motorbike accident on his way to work? Why did my wife of all these years suffer so much with cancer? Those are just some of the ones that flash through my mind quickly from many years of pastoral experience. Do you know what? And the answer to all of them was the one that Job discovered. I don't know. But what I do know is that there is a God in heaven who is with us, for us, and who ultimately can bring something good out of this for us and for others if only we'll continue to put our trust in him. So their answer was what Job discovered. The answer is not in finding out why, but in finding out who. And that, this whole book is designed to show us, is incredible wisdom for life. A God who is always good, who is always caring, always has his eye on us, but who does not always rescue us from the hard stuff of life. Why? Because as we said, we live in a sinful fallen world that we have to walk through just as much as non-Christians have to walk through. But a God who is always there and who in words from St. Paul in Romans chapter 8 can always work all things together for good, for his good purpose, for those who love him and trust him. And the story actually ends with once Job has had his encounter, God restoring to him more than he even had before.
1: But that's not to imply that there's always that guarantee. Not at all. This is an example, not necessarily
0: a promise. And whether we get the restoration at the end or not, what we need to do is to trust that God is always there for us. And again, if I can just sum it in that simple way, what this book shows us is the most important question in life is not why, but it's who. Keep asking your whys. You might get some answers, but for some you'll never get answers. But pursue the question who. Who is out there that is for me, even in the midst of this Who will help me through this, come through the other side and continue life again? It's the living God, Job discovers. He'd heard of that God before, but now through this tough experience, he's seen him and experienced him and can get up and can continue with life again, knowing that that God is for him no matter what happens. Mike Beaumont has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.